We're going to come to the word of the Lord and the teaching time today. It's in uh, our series on a season of waiting, which refers to Advent, and today is part two. We will be looking at Luke chapter one in our teaching time today. So as you open the word, let's open our hearts. Almighty God, we love you, and we thank you that today, in this wonderful season of holiday expectation and anticipation, you are present with us. We're also mindful, Lord, that there's problems always all around us, and some people may be feeling those problems and pressures particularly today. And so our prayer is also, Lord, that you would help us and that you would grant hope to us that we would see in your word the hope of our lives and that we would hang all of our hope on you who hung your life on the cross for us. In your mighty name, Lord Jesus, amen. Got any holiday plans? What are you planning to do? Those are the kinds of statements that you hear. And that's because... Advent season is Christmas season, and the Christmas season of December is a season of plans. Really, raise your hand if you've got a lot of plans this month. Really, you're the, you are the laziest people <laughs> in Los Angeles. None of you have plans. You don't have any, you have, nobody has a clue where they're going to be on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning or what you're going to be cooking. You don't have a wish list on Amazon that you've been sharing. Aren't you out there shopping? Somebody's in Bath and Body Works all the time. Somebody's in Target. Somebody's crowding the lines at Costco. There's lots of plans for parties, for events, for happenings. There's also other kinds of plans. You may have a lot of plans on your desk at work. I'm not going to ask for those hands to be raised because it'll start Sunday anxiety for the Monday morning workers. I don't want to think about it. It's all waiting there for me. It may have nothing to do with Christmas, but it's part of your Christmas because it's part of your work. And so there's all kinds of plans. How do I get this done and that done in order to do the things that are fun that I want to get done? Maybe part of your plan is, how am I going to deal with this situation at work? Maybe you're the supervisor who's got two people that aren't getting along and you've got a plan. How do I help them get over this hurdle? Maybe you're the person who's got a problem with your supervisor because they're not helping you or because they're hurting you. Maybe it isn't at work, maybe it's at home and you're planning, how do I get my parents here? Or what am I going to do when Uncle Joe is here or Uncle Ben or whoever that uncle or aunt or cousin or brother or sister is that is just a little extra issue that requires a little extra planning? And not to put too fine of a point on it, but sometimes there's plans we don't want to make, but we have to. Sadly, in my family, there's beloved relatives who are planning the funeral of their son this month. It isn't what they planned for December. It isn't what they would want, but they have to do it. Somebody might think, listen, I don't want to hear about that. It's Christmas time, but what if that's your Christmas? See, sometimes, in fact, every Christmas, somebody's burying someone. Every Christmas, somebody is saying, I've got a plan how to do Christmas without somebody that was here 12 months ago. Or maybe it's been 12 years since they've been there. But every Christmas that rolls around, you remember the emptiness of that place in your heart. And you've got to plan for how you're going to smile in the parties when you're hurting inside. There's all kinds of plans. Some of them are happy and delightful. Some of them are burdensome. Some of them are sorrowful. But really, the question in this season is more than what you have planned. 
What does God have planned? What does God have in mind for you? I want you to think about that this morning because it's not just a rhetorical question, but it's not one that I can probably answer personally for you from the pulpit, but the Lord Jesus Christ can help you to see the answer in his word, in his spirit, and even in the communion that you experience in his body with other believers. That's part of why we come together to worship the Lord, so that as we worship, we would be made ready Will you look inside your bulletin at the outline for today's teaching? There's a scripture passage there, and it comes from Luke chapter 1. It's verse 17, and it's written right under the two words that say, patient hope, because that's what we're really focused on today. In our planning, let's plan for what God is doing, and let's patiently hope for the expectation of his word. Well, look at that line right beneath there, verse 17. And will you simply read it with me? I want us to read it aloud together. Aloud, loudly, proudly. Read it there. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. We're going to talk about a couple today who received a promise from the Lord. And it was at, at one time, in, in the single promise, the fulfillment of plans of theirs that they thought were never going to be fulfilled. In other words, plans that they had that had never come to pass. Specifically, plans to have a child, but they aged out of that plan. They got too old to have children, and the child had never come. So they had a plan, and then they had to deal with the failure of that plan, the disappointment of a plan, a dream deferred. It, it it's, saddens the soul. But then God came with a different plan, which was to answer their prayer at a different time in a different way than they ever could have planned for. In other words, what I'm getting at is that sometimes God doesn't give you what you're asking for when you're asking for it in the way that you're asking for it, but that doesn't mean that it's too late for him to do it. And it's true that sometimes the answer of the Lord to us is no, I'm not going to give you what you're asking for. But if he says no, it's because he has a better plan or purpose. And it involves a focus on making ready a people prepared for the Lord. Later today, we're going to dine at this table. It's been prepared for you by hands that care for you, by prayers made for you and for me. But it's been prepared most of all by the Lord himself. Because this bread and these cups with the juice of the vine, they would not be available to us in any way that is meaningful. They would not be communion. They would not be the Lord's host, the Lord's table, if it weren't for the fact that the Lord himself gave his body and shed his blood for you and I. For you that are streaming with us or watching a recording, you can be a part of this communion too. Find a bit of bread, a cracker, something that can approximate the body of Christ and uh, get a cup and fill it with some fluid that can be for you the cup of the covenant. Pray over it, and when we partake together, you can join us. If those things aren't available to you, just join us in prayer. Prayer prepares people for the Lord, and the Lord serves people with himself to fuel you. Why do we eat? Why do we drink? For energy. You can't live without it, right? But man doesn't live by bread alone. He lives by every word that issues from the mouth of God. And Christ is the living word. Christ is the bread of heaven, the living bread. Eat this bread and live. 
Drink from this cup. Drink of his forgiveness for you and live. But live for what? For a purpose. Not just to say I'm forgiven and then fall back in to the same kinds of plans and the same kinds of feudal purposes that are of the world. No, but to live transformed, to be renewed, to have a purpose in him and to be able to persevere in it. You see, God feeds us because he wants us to be energized by him for his plans. And one of the reasons why we celebrate Christmas again and again every year is not just because we rejoice with Thanksgiving, like this table of Thanksgiving, this Eucharist, which means Thanksgiving, for what God has done, but also because we recognize that what God has done is to prepare us for what God will do, for what he will do next, to make a people prepared for that. And so this is a season of preparation, a time in which we have lots of planning to do, and some of it we want to do, and some of it we may dread to do, and some of it we may not understand why this is the season in which we have to do it. And everybody recognizes, almost every holiday movie is about this, that all those plans and all those festivities, they can become so overwhelming, or maybe other circumstances of life are that way for you right now, that you and I might lose the spirit of the season, the reason for the season, the focus on the purpose of God in the midst of all of our anxiety about our plans. Because I'll tell you something. You, you look at this. When you see these people writing things down, you make a list and you check it twice and you find out who's naughty or nice, right? You make your plans. You know what happens the moment you start making a plan? This this soft gray matter in your noggin starts thinking about what happens if the plan doesn't work. And the longer you live, the more data you've got about plans that go wrong. There's a saying that the best laid plans of mice and men oft go awry. In other words, whether you're big or small, you can make your plans. But the event is in the hand of God. But we know once we make a plan, this is the way I want it. And a lot of our anxiety in this season is, I want it this way. There's a song coming into my mind I shouldn't say, I want it that way. You know, that's, a good, that's what people are doing with their plans. I want it that way. I want it my way. But the highway of the Lord leads us to a table of one who said, not my will, not my plans. If it's possible to change this plan and let this cup pass from me, but not my plans. No, I will patiently persevere in saying, your will be done. That's a person prepared for what? To go to the cross. I don't want to go to the cross. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. He despised the shame. He despised the division that the cross would create between he and the Father who are one. But for the joy that was set before him, which is you, he endured the cross and suffered the shame and experienced that separation from God so that you and I would not have to. If you're overshadowed by stress, if you're overwhelmed by plans, if you're overwhelmed by life, come meet Jesus. He's the reason for the season. He's the Christ. 
You can have patient hope in him, and he will make you ready. I want to introduce you to also Zechariah and Elizabeth. We've already talked about them, and if you're a member of the church, you've heard about them, but we're going to talk about them again. They are that very elderly couple that I mentioned who had never been able to have a child. And you might suppose that their faith would have been crushed by that, and I don't doubt that it was hard, that there were many times when both of them probably felt great pain, maybe shared in great tears over the fact that as a couple, they were not able to conceive until they had reached an age when it would appear to be too late. But these are the ones who in their latter years became the parents of John the Baptist. And if you don't know who John the Baptist is, he is one whose very purpose in life was to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. At the bottom of the outline, you will see what John's father prayed by the Spirit over him when John was born as the angel had promised, as the Lord had prophesied. You, John, will go before the Lord, that is, before Jesus, to prepare his ways, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Can you imagine that those words could be spoken about you? Is it possible that you could be someone whom God has said, I want to use you to be a way maker? I want to use you to be a path layer who would show other people the way that I come in, who would call other people to this table where I feed, who would bring other people into the house, into the heart of the Lord. You are my witnesses, said Jesus. In other words, God wants to prepare us to prepare others. God wants to use us to learn to live according to his plans so that our whole life can be about pointing other people to God. I promise you this. You will never spend one moment in earnest effort to share the reality of Jesus with any other person that you will not be eternally grateful that you had the privilege to engage in that project. In other words, you will never regret sharing Jesus from your heart with anyone else. But it is very possible that you and I, when we come before the Lord and see laid out all the plans that we made and the things that we did and the things that we didn't, that we may very well say, why didn't I do more for the kingdom? Why didn't I tell more people about the love of God that I found in Christ? Why did I plan so much for my own appetites, for my own needs, and think so little about those less fortunate around me? Why did I hold on to so much of what I have when I couldn't keep it, but I could have given away what I had, and it would be worth so much more now? Because it would be worth the love and the joy that was spawned in people's lives because I gave freely without any expectation of return. Because I gave the way God gave to me. Because I gave in the name of Jesus. Jesus says, you gave it to me. Here is bread and here is cup from Christ. And it forgives all of your sins. But Jesus says, if you just give a little child a cup of water, you've given me something to drink. You go visit a prisoner. You visited me in the cell. You go pray for the sick, and you were praying for my body when you laid your hands on that body. Because wherever there are the least of these, Christ is there. 
You want to find more of Jesus in your life? Find him among those who have greater needs than you do. Your gratitude will expand. And so will your maturity. And so will your plans change to be focused on the things of the Lord. John was born to parents who had realized that even if their plans didn't map out the way they had hoped, their God was still good. They had settled that whether I get what I'm waiting for or not, whether I come to the tree and open the present and it's just what I want, or grandma gave me socks again, I know grandma loves me. I remember I got in big trouble one year because my grandmother made homemade gifts. You know, she was a child of, of the Depression era. Well, she was in high school by that point, but... You know, she was a woman who knew the value of a penny. She was extremely generous. But she'd also learned to make gifts for all those years when she couldn't do anything other than make them. And so she would make clothing. And she was, I mean, I can't sew a stitch, but she wasn't tremendously talented in that. And all of her fashion tastes were fixated in about 1932. So I got a pair of pajamas that looked like I was going to be on the Waltons, you know. And they, and they seemed to me, she, would, she had a knack for finding the scratchiest, itchiest kind of wool, you know, and we would get these. Now, I loved my grandmother very much, but what she would do is she would send money to my mother because she couldn't understand all the toys we wanted, you know, all the Star Wars people and stuff. She didn't know what. She would look at them and say, why do you want that ugly thing? But she didn't know what those were, so she just sent the money to my mom, but she always wanted to make something because for her, that was a real expression of her love, not just to buy something, but to make something. But when I was a little kid, those itchy pajamas weren't nearly as valuable to me as the Star Wars figures or whatever. So I remember one year I opened it up and it was nice and I said to Grandma, why do you always give us these ugly clothes that you make? <laughs> and then my mother murdered me. And it's amazing, I was resurrected. My mother's face turned the color of my sweater and I think she was absolutely livid. And uh, there was some physical punishment that followed that. And then I, in tears, said, I'm sorry, Grandma. <laughs> Sometimes when we're little, we don't appreciate a gift, because all we're thinking about is what we want. But when we get older, we come to realize that what makes a gift most meaningful is the person who gave it. It isn't about getting what you want. It's about coming to know the giver. Sometimes we say to God, why do you give me this stuff? I don't really like this. Didn't you see my wish list? <laughs> Maybe that's when the Holy Spirit comes and says, <laughs> get right with your heart towards the Lord. He loves you, and he gives good, good gifts. So these two people, they had a faith-filled, focused hope on the Lord. Whatever our life entails, we are serving God, and God is good. And that's why I think they're a good model for us in this season of Advent, in this message about patience and planning. Because that kind of faith-filled, focused hope in the Lord, it's an antidote to overly stressed seasonal fatigue, to depression of life, to discouragement at work, to confusion about confounding circumstances. I don't know how to deal with this. I don't have enough time to do this. I'm getting all stressed out. Settle into the Lord. Remember, if it's his plan, he will bring it to pass. 
if it's not his plan, you shouldn't try to bring it to pass. Let your plans reflect his. And then whatever happens, God is at work in it. Now listen, I struggle with this too. I'm preaching to myself. I'm making mental notes. I'm going to have to study this this week because I get out there on the road and in the shops and in life and I struggle in the same way you do. The point is not that we don't struggle with this. The point is there's a place where we can fix our focus and it's on the Lord. So let's do that and experience the blessing that comes from that. Centering our lives and our plans, not just our words, but our actions. Not just what we say we think we believe, but what we show we believe by where we spend our time, by what we prioritize. You know, this year I realized Christmas on a Sunday, some people feel like, hey, I don't want to spend my time at church on a Sunday because I want to be home with family. And I, I understand that feeling. I, I'm actually one of those people that can relate to that feeling. On the other hand, this is our family. And the whole reason for Christmas is to create a church. I'm not trying to guilt anybody being here for Christmas Day or anything. That's genuinely not my point. My point is, do our expectations reflect our doctrines? The things that we say we believe, I love the Lord, I love Jesus, is that reflected in how you spend your time and where you put your priority? If it is, you're going to experience a spiritual tonic in the scriptures, in the spirit, in worship, in connection with the body. There was such joy in this room last night. I overheard it as I was working in my office, and families were in here decorating everything, kids running around, and lots of work getting done, but lots of joy being experienced in the process as well. I'm grateful to everybody that helped in that. The reason for this season is to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. There's a higher call of planning in our lives, and it's to plan our lives according to God's purposes. At PCF, this first half of the decade of the 2020s is a time in which the Lord has said to us, I want you to be focused on my purpose for your life because there's such a melee, such a maelstrom of other things and other focus points. And in this time, God is saying, it's very important that you be focused on what my purpose is for you, that you patiently hold on to that, that you perseverantly press forward in it. Because there's a reason God's doing what he's doing. So let's look briefly at the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah in Luke chapter 1 and see what you and I can learn from it. This is in the time of Herod the king, not a great dude. He's ruling over Judea. Zechariah was a priest. He served in the temple on a regular schedule. They had a plan, and he would follow it. There was a time when it was his turn to serve in the temple. And his wife, Elizabeth, was also a person of faith. They were righteous in the sight of God. In other words, God looked at their hearts and saw that these were people who earnestly desired his will in their life. They weren't perfect people but they were focused people. They were sincere people. Most of all, they were people that belonged to God. You know how someone becomes righteous? God's righteousness is imparted to them. This table is a table of righteousness. When you eat the bread of the body of Christ today, you are eating of his righteousness. When you drink the cup of that covenant, it is that it washes away your unrighteousness and mine in the righteous flow of his blood. Righteousness comes from God. And Zechariah and Elizabeth were people 
who were dwelling in God. They were serving the Lord, obeying the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. They worshiped. They read the scriptures. They gave their tithes and offerings. They were kind to the poor. They spent time in prayer. They trusted the Lord no matter what came. They endeavored to be people who were honest with integrity, kindness, and mercifulness to others. But the thing that they had most wanted, probably, the thing that was the greatest badge of honor in that world, the thing that if you didn't have, people often presumed in that society, wrongly, but nevertheless frequently, that if you didn't have this, then you couldn't be righteous and you couldn't have God's favor because they didn't have a child. And that was seen as a blessing and gift of God that was also an indicator. If you were really good people, you'd have one. So not only did they not have that gift, they also had to bear a certain degree of shame in their society, wrongly, but that was the reality. They were both very old. They must have come to terms and peace with it at this point. But Zechariah one day is on duty in the temple. He's alone doing his service. No one can come into the place that he's at, but suddenly there's a man there, but it's not a human man, it's an angel. And the angel says to Zechariah, a message. Now, Zechariah can hardly hear what the angel has to say because he's gripped with fear. And by the way, that's the constant reaction in these Christmas stories and just about any time an angel shows up. If you think, boy, I'd love to see an angel, the human reaction is fear. And I can understand why. Imagine if you were home alone and all of a sudden there's a man standing there saying, hey, guess what? I've got a word for you. Who are you? How'd you get here? But there was no question that this is somebody that had infiltrated. It was immediately evident to Zechariah, this is a supernatural being. And the angel says, don't be afraid, which is, by the way, their common statement. Humans get scared. The messengers of the Lord say, don't be afraid. Because we're not here to give bad news. We're here to give good news. Your prayer has been heard. Huh, a little late. No, that was God's plan. That's part of God's purpose. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son, and you are to call him John. What if we plan to name him Zechariah? After all, that's my dad's name, and that's the way of it. When they come to name the baby, everyone in the crowd says, when Elizabeth says, name him John, what? That can't be right. His father's not named John. There's no John in the family. Why did they do it? Because it was God's plan. You'll name him John, which means a gift from God. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. And here we are 2,000 years later. We don't just celebrate the birth of Jesus at this time of year. We also celebrate the birth of John the Baptist, the one who made ready a people prepared for the Lord. He'll bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. Hey out there, is there someone who just felt the twinge on the string of your heart that comes from God's finger plucking it and saying, Come back. Come home. I've got a good plan waiting for you. That was the kind of message that John had. Because people can't be prepared for the coming of the Lord if they're turned away from him. So the message of John the Baptist would be the message of Jesus. And it's this. Repent. Turn back to God. You're focused away from God. Turn and focus back on God. Lay aside and give up those other things that aren't of God, that aren't good, but they're on your wish list. And lay hold of the one 
who's coming to lay hold of you. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. He'll go in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. If there's people in your families, if there's relationships that are broken, if there's a separation between you and a dear friend, maybe the Lord is saying to you today, it's time to mend those relationships in me. And if there's somebody that's not willing to do that, God still has a plan for how you can find healing in your heart. The whole purpose of John's ministry was to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so I want to say three things about this statement that is, consists of three parts. To make ready, will you say that? To make ready, to make ready. a people prepared, for the Lord. To get ready is to pray. Prayer is the preparer. Prayer paves the way. Prayer lays the foundation. Prayer moves the mountains. Prayer reaches the vaults of heaven. Prayer opens up the gates and the doorways that need to be opened for the purpose of the Lord and shuts the doors that need to be closed for the will of God. Jesus said, I hold the keys of heaven and hell and earth, of life and death. I've got the keys. I open doors that no one can shut. I shut doors and no one can open them. And Jesus said to his people prepared, I give you the keys of the kingdom. Where are they? In your prayer. Prayer is the key. Put the key in the lock, turn it. You say, it doesn't fit. Maybe you're praying the wrong prayer. What's the key that God gave you? What's the prayer that God gave you? Pray according to his word. Pray according to his will. Your prayer will move mountains. And your prayer will prepare people, starting with you. The prayer is one who is focused on the Lord. The prayer will be a listener and not just a speaker. The prayer will be one who waits, a waiter who receives what is to be delivered. And ultimately, what God gives you and I is not only forgiveness, but also hope, the assurance of better things yet to come, promises that will be fulfilled even when it's too late, so that a day could come when God says to you, the thing that you thought was too late to ever happen, now is the time in my plan when it's ready to be done. But are you ready for it? Only faith can make you ready. Faithful expectation in the Lord. So let's say a few things about prayer. First of all, it was at the center of Elizabeth and Zechariah's life. When we are told that they were righteous in the sight of God, I guarantee you it means they had a close, intimate relationship with him in prayer. Because there's no way to receive that kind of righteousness from God without prayer being a pivotal plank in the, in the foundation of your life. When it says that they observed all the Lord's commands, they couldn't have known them unless they came to the word prayerfully unless they were part of the congregation prayerfully, unless they lived and planned their lives prayerfully. In all of your planning this Christmas season, be sure that you're praying. Don't plan a party or a feast or a fiesta without asking God about it. 
You might say, well, God's too busy to care about that. Not at all. If it's important to you, it's important to God. So invite his counsel through prayer. Also, please be willing to change your plans if as you pray, the Lord makes it clear he wants you to go a different way. Oh, that's the rub, isn't it? That's the hard part. We can all say, oh God, I want you in my plans, but the moment that God says, I don't like your plans, I want my plan instead, that's when the rubber really meets the road. Prayer helps us to accept what God wants to do. Prayer helps us hear heaven's priorities. When Jesus taught his followers to pray, he told them, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, start by acknowledging who you're praying to and how holy he is. And then remember, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, here in my life, in my plans, the way that it's done in heaven. You can ask for the things you need, and he has taught us to do that. But seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added to you. Not only that, but prayer aligns us to God's timing. If you feel like, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, and it's too late. If you feel like it's urgent and it needs to happen now, and you're feeling like, where is God and what's God up to? Why don't you pray and ask him? But don't just pray from the urgency of, it needs to happen, it needs to happen. Rather, pray this way, Lord, help me to understand what you are doing. Help me to know how to patiently wait and patiently prepare and plan. It may be that God will even show you a different priority, but it may also be that God helps you to understand, not now, but later. And so be patient and be at peace. Do you know that when there is something that you're waiting for, but you know that you're waiting for it according to the plan and purposes of God, there's a peace that comes to you. When there's something that you're pressing for, a race that you are running, but you know that your perseverance in that race is born out of your understanding of God's purpose for you, and you're aligned in the spirit, and you're aligned with the scriptures, there's peace. Peace that surpasses understanding. In other words, it's not peace that's related to your circumstances. It's peace that changes your circumstances. Because it's the peace of God. And it's given to you not in the way that the world gives. It's given freely. It's given eternally. And that peace, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians, it will guard your heart and help you to hear from heaven and help you to align with God's timing. And you know what? The Lord will look at you through the filter of the blood of Christ, through the grace of his mercy, and say, here is a righteous one. Not because you were perfect in your own effort, but because you have placed yourself in his purposes. And his purpose is to make you ready and to make you righteous. Prayer readies us. Will you say that? Prayer readies us. It readies us to hear God. It readies us to understand God's timing. It readies us to trust God's timing even when we don't understand it and even if we can't hear him. Sometimes heaven is silent. And if you know the Lord, you'll still have his peace if you trust and hope in him. Don't force him to speak if he's not willing and ready to speak. You just wait. When you go to your boss and you're waiting for instructions, not many a boss wants their employee to say to them, hey, I don't have time for this. Hurry up. Come on, Mac. What do you want? I'm here to do it. Well, I waited and I waited and I never heard from him. Well, guess, guess what? That boss said, you're fired. 
I don't want the Lord to say to me, you're fired. Because right here at this table, he said, you're hired. Better than that, he said, you're adopted. Better than that, he said, you're an inheritor. But I didn't come into the house of the Lord to look at him as father and say, hurry up, dad. I came to bow down and say, thy will be done. So let's do that. Let's be a people prepared by being a people focused on the Lord. We heard a bit from the book of Revelation today. In Revelation chapter 4, there's 24 elders there who are utterly, totally focused on the Lord. When Isaiah the prophet has a visionary encounter of God in the throne room of heaven in Isaiah chapter 6, there are living beings also described there, the cherubim, who are constantly shouting what is called the trihagion, the three holies, holy, 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 holy. They're always looking at God. They're always declaring the reality of God. They're always focused on God. He is their source. And he is their focus. He's the author and the finisher. The beginning and the end. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the foundation cornerstone. He's the capstone. Sometimes you and I need to get close to God and remember how great he is. How big he is. How holy he is. As familiar as we can be by eating of this bread and drinking of this cup, let's not forget our God is an awesome God, the maker of heaven and earth and utterly holy. And in this world of so many distractions, we need to remember there is only one God. So shut the door to the distractions for a bit. In this season, when so much is going on, Plan for private time with God. Anyone who will hear that word and will actually do it, you will experience the peace of God. But you must plan for that time and you must make it sacred. Other things will attempt to invade it. And Satan will certainly try to change that plan with other plans of his own. But resist the devil and focus on God. Give God time. It's not so much how much time, but it is how regularly. You've got to have regular time with God. Elizabeth, when she became pregnant, went into seclusion. She went into a time of meditative prayer with God because she wanted to be ready. First of all, how old was she? 60, 65, and she's pregnant? And she's not living in a time of modern medicine. So there were plenty of things for her to be worried about God's plan. What's going to happen to my body as I go through this pregnancy that no one I've ever known has gone through before? Will I survive it? It was difficult enough even then, more so then, but even today, for young women to go through pregnancies if there were any kind of unusual complications. How about an elderly woman who's postmenopausal? Not only that, but this is not what she expected. It's like the record scratch sound effect. It's the screeching brakes. I got to stop my life and get centered on what God is doing because God's doing something totally different than what I thought. Sometimes so many of us have the biggest trouble with that because really what that reveals is when we are so fixated on, but God does this and this is the, what God was going to do, sometimes what it reveals is we don't really know God. We just know our idea of him. And God is wanting to show us, I'm different than you thought. 
Not dramatically different, not a different God, but he wants you to get to know him better. I've mentioned before at this time of year, I love Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol, and when the ghost of Christmas present shows up in Ebenezer Scrooge's house, there's a big feast, there's a great table, there's cups of wine, there's big loaves of bread, there's all kinds of roast meats, there's every sort of holiday festivity there, and there's the Christmas present spirit in the room, and he says to Ebenezer Scrooge, come in, man, get to know me better. And God has laid out a table here for you. And he says, remember me. Remember me? There's that song that you hear on the radio around this time of year. Do you remember me? Maybe God wants you to see that it's his knee you need to sit on and get close to him. Elizabeth did that in order to be ready. Focused time with God builds our faith. If we don't spend that kind of time with God, we don't have that kind of relationship with God. It's not produced by magic. God is all-powerful and can do anything. But relationship with God is essentially relationship with a person. Persons. There's three persons in the Godhead. It's relationship with the Father. It's relationship with the Savior. It's relationship with the Spirit. And these three are one. It's relationship with the one God who is. But you've got to get to know him. And so as we read the word, as we spend time hearing him, we get a deepened relationship with him. And we receive guidance. We receive counsel. We have support. There's people that I can go to in the body of Christ, and many of them are you. And I can share my troubles and burdens. I can share my prayer requests. I can say, this is what I'm trying to hear from the Lord. And you can help me as iron sharpens iron, as the body ministers to the body, in the spirit and according to the word. When we do this, and we live a life meditating on the word, then you will be strong and courageous. Then you will have good success, the Lord says to Joshua and Moses. Focus time with God, focus time in the Spirit refreshes and refines us. If you're feeling weary, if you're feeling rusty, if you need some on-course correction, if you're feeling a lack of passion, I'm not so excited about Christmas, that's for kids. I don't know if I'm so excited about the plans of the Lord. Get close to God. It's like an ember getting brought to the fire. All of a sudden, that old ashy coal springs up with fresh new flame. Why? Because you got close to the heat. Because you came back to a first love. Because you got close to the purifying fire of God. You know who did this? Jesus. It is how he lived his life on earth. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed now, if the Savior, the Son of God, found it necessary to follow that model in order to fulfill God's purpose for him, then how much more you and I? Jesus needed this. We need it. If it's useful for Jesus, it's all the more useful for us. If it was right for him, it's right for us. If Jesus saw it as a daily priority, so should we. What are some of the things that Jesus reckoned with when he went alone? He did it to prepare for a major task to recharge after a hard work, to work through grief. Have you experienced a loss, loss of a job, loss of a loved one, loss of a hope? Are you going through a trial, trauma, illness? Get with God. 
Let him speak to you and minister to you. Do you have an important decision to make? Are you at a crossroads? I'm not sure. Get with God and listen. He knows the issues. You don't have to lay them all out for him. You can if you want, but be sure you give some time just to listen. Well, how will I know when he speaks? Read the Bible. Come to a pastor. Find a prayer partner, but also get into your prayer closet with God and spend some quiet time in him, with him. If you're in distress, if you need to concentrate on prayer, sometimes around the house, there's rapping, there's movies, there's singing. People are working from home. Find the place, whether it's in the park or in the bedroom, where you can get alone with God and focus on him and let him build your faithful expectation. I mentioned last week the passage in Luke chapter 1, verse 45, in which Mary is described as blessed. Blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises. But you know who it is that says that? Elizabeth. And the reason that Elizabeth is able to say that to Mary by the Spirit is because it's also true about Elizabeth. Because she also believed that when the angel said to her husband, your wife will conceive, that it would happen. And it did. Now, if God's planning it, it's going to come to pass. But if it's not God's plan, then even if it does come to pass, it's all for naught. Unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor, labor in vain, says Psalm 127.1. People make their plans, but God rules over the outcomes. That's Proverbs 16.9. So, if you're going to do that, if you're going to build the house, if you're going to lay the foundation, if you're going to make the plans, why not plan with the one who had a plan from the beginning? I've been doing a webinar on the book of Ephesians, and the whole book is Paul's statement to the church. I want you to know God's blueprint from the body that was from the beginning. Before time even began, God had a plan all laid out. Wouldn't you like to plan with him? Wouldn't you like his plan to involve you? Well, I assure you that it does. But if you want to be blessed, if you want to be blessed, you've got to believe what God's plan says about you and to you. So seek God's way. He will guide you. How many here can say, God has guided me more and more as my, in my life as I've read the word, as I've prayed, as the word, come on, put, a, put, put a, both hands up. You see this? It works. You go to any convention and see this many people who actually say, I have the evidence that it works in my life. You want that product. This is for free. Be blessed by putting patient trust in the Lord. Trust him and he will direct your paths. Don't lean on your own understanding. Lean on the Lord. And as you persevere, patiently in that pathway, guess what? As you follow Christ, other people will see Christ and come following in you. Not that they're coming for you, but that you're helping to prepare them to meet the Lord. That's the purpose of our lives. He wants you and I to go before the Lord, and he wants to guide our feet into the way of peace. And where he has guided us today is to this table and to this time where you and I, in him, get to experience the intimate provision of his purpose for us through the body and blood of his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. The elements are going to be taken to all, and I ask that each would hold your cup and your bread until all have been served. 
The worship team is going to join me on the platform. Let's take this time as the elements are being served and you at home may be preparing to enter into a fresh awareness of God's presence with us right now. You have come to the place where God's plan is being fed to you. Receive this bread as a blueprint. Feed on me, says the Lord. Eat of me. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, they are mine and they'll have eternal life. But if you don't, you have no part in me, says Jesus. He wants you to receive. You would take your bit of bread and just hold it before you. Lord, as we partake of this bread that represents your body, we receive in the spirit the sustenance of what you have provided to us, your very self. We entrust ourselves again into your hands, into your plans into your body. As we partake of this, we pray for unity in the body. We pray for patience and perseverance. And we pray with thanksgiving that you were broken so that we could be made whole. Amen. Taking the cup, let us pray. Lord Jesus, as we drink of this cup that represents your blood shed for us, we do it in remembrance of you. Thank you that every sin and shame is washed away by your blood. We repent, we renounce our wicked ways. We receive, we believe your everlasting forgiveness granted to us. With gratitude, we praise your name. And now, Lord, we also consecrate ourselves that as we drink this cup of the covenant, we commit to remember you, to pursue you, to focus on you, and to believe in you. And we ask your kingdom come and your will be done on earth in us as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Now then, having partaken of the body and blood of Jesus Christ, I charge you with the holy remembrance that you are a people made ready and prepared for the Lord. So go forth with patience and perseverance to do that. 
Before we conclude, I want to pray for one about whom I can say, blessed is she who believed what the Lord said to her. There is hardly a dearer person in our congregation than Sister Marianne Pimenta. And we want to pray for you today, Sister Marianne. Can we do that? We welcome her to the platform. It's the time to celebrate her birthday. And Jesus loves you so much that he gave you, Sister Marianne, a birthday near his. We're going to celebrate all the more. We have a, a, a gathering today, and all are invited to, to come and love on Sister Marianne. But let's pray a blessing upon her. This is a woman of great faith, and we want to reflect our gratitude to God for her and her life. Let's extend our hands in symbol of our blessing. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this, your humble servant, this wise woman of the Lord, so gracious, so kind, such a life of righteousness and prayer and giving, often in secret, always with humility, always sacrificially. We thank you for her life, her faith, and the blessing that she is to this body. And we pray that you would bless her all the more abundantly, not only at her birthday, but this Christmas and the new year, and in all the days that she has ahead, and even into the eternal purpose of the kingdom. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. We love you. God bless you all. Birthday to you. Happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday to you. Hallelujah. Well, there's a joyous way to end one service and enter into the world for the service of thanksgiving and worship that is our lives. So may the Lord help you and aid you this week to patiently persevere in your planning, in your prayer, and in your time with him. In Jesus' name, God bless you all. Amen.